If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Hebrews toward the back of the Bible, uh, we have been journeying together uh, this fall through this incredible book uh, that tells us that whoever we are and wherever we are, that we're to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Now, we are going to be in chapter 10 today. We're going to finish up chapter 10 today. Uh, next week, we begin Advent, and then uh, we're on to something a bit new in January that I'm excited about. So this is the end of the journey. Uh, but how many people, how many pastors preach through a book of the Bible and get to chapter 10 and when there's 11, 12, and 13 and stop? Pray for me. But I'm hoping that this will happen today is that God will give you a real hunger to go and hear the rest of what God has. Really, today we're going to see that there's a kind of a turning of a corner. We, we've been looking at Jesus and fixing our eyes on him. And now kind of beginnings of the, hey, so what? What does this all mean? It's actually going to use the word let us. As we journey through this book, and it's really an exhortation for believers like us that are wondering, is this Jesus all that he cracked up to be? Did he promise too much? Did he deliver too little? How come my life is still uh, has some things that are spinning out of control? How come there's so much pain and so much sorrow? And in the midst of that, the writer of Hebrews, really, he preaches this sermon. It's probably more of a sermon preached that became written. Um, but he says this, I fix your eyes on him because why Jesus is unlike any other. Jesus does not have any rivals. There's, there's no one who compares to God's son in flesh. The writer wants to tell us and uh, reminding us that he's greater than angels, greater than any heavenly beings. Jesus is far better. Not only that, he's better than the, all the Old Testament heroes. Guys like Moses. Moses talked to God face to face. There was no prophet in the Old Testament like Moses. But Jesus is better because he doesn't just talk to God face to face. He is God in the flesh. He's the ultimate prophet. And Jesus is better than Moses. Moses delivered him out of Egypt and got close to the promised land, but he couldn't deliver salvation like Jesus. And Jesus is better than Joshua. Joshua really couldn't conquer uh, in that holy land the way only Jesus can conquer gods and our enemies. Jesus is, is much better. Then he, he starts comparing him to these priests like Aaron, these mediators between God and man. And a really interesting fellow named Melchizedek. And if you haven't journeyed with us, there's some opportunity to go back and listen. But that Jesus is better. He's better than all of them. Because Jesus is the only hope for our salvation. There's no other way. There's no other way for you and me to make it home. There's no other way for us to be forgiven. There's no other way for us to have life. He is it. But the crazy thing about the writer of Hebrews, he also points out, is not only Jesus is unlike everyone else. He's showing us that Jesus is just like everyone else. He's just like you. And he's just like me. The writer of Hebrews says that he was made like us in every respect. That just like us, he was tempted. Just like us, he, he understood what this world was like. And just like us, he became one of us. And it says, incredibly, that the sinless one, he's not ashamed to call us brothers. He's not ashamed to associate with us. He's not ashamed to share a family name with us. But this Jesus, he likes us. Think about that. He likes you. He knows you and he likes you. Matter of fact, he loves us. And oh, how he loves us. Also, the writer of Hebrews is saying that this Jesus, he's the real deal. 
When you read through scripture, there's a lot of religious things that are happening there, especially the Old Testament. All these sacrifices and temple. And, and the writer of Hebrews says all those things, they're simply a shadow. They're nothing more than a copy. They do nothing more to point to the real deal. And that Jesus is the real deal. He's all that God has promised. He is the hope. He is the hero of the Bible. It says that Jesus is the only one uh, who has done all that God has required of man. Let me say that again. Jesus is the one who has done all that holy God has required of man. He's the only one. And Jesus is the one who's offered a sacrifice that was acceptable for man. So he did what we can fail to do. He died what we deserve to die. And now through him, and we got to this, uh, my, one of my favorite passages of scripture, Hebrews ten fourteen last week says this. For by a single offering on the cross, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Did you hear that? Through the work of Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, something astounding has happened. He has perfected us once and for all. It's done deal. Legally, our standing. But he's also doing something. He's making us holy. He's making us more like him. So how do we respond to this? What is the response? If he's the one who did what we're supposed to do, he's the one who died the death we're supposed to die, uh, deserve to die. He's the one who's done all this for us. Well, we must now live in a certain way. Let us now live. We're going to see three big things. It's three big themes of the Bible. Let's live by faith. We look at that. Not only that, let's live with hope. No matter what's going on in your life, hope. Hope that, that Jesus is, is still working and his work is sufficient and let us love. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So let's look to uh, God's word, Hebrews 10. We're gonna pick up where we left off last week in verse 19. I'll read through the entire chapter. An interesting rest of the chapter, some real highs and some interesting lows. We'll get to both uh, and another high point at the ending. But let's, be mindful, this is God's holy word. It wasn't written to entertain us. It was written, inspired by the Holy Spirit to transform us. It was written for God to speak to you this morning. So hear the word of the Lord. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, here's the beginning of let us. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meeting together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses 
uh, dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled under, underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you had yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have the need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let us pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and bring clarity to your word like only you can. Come and speak through a broken sinner like me. God, another incredible passage is before us, one with great hope and great encouragement, and also one that talks about great judgment. Only you can make sense of all of that. So come and do your work through the preaching of your word. Would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds illuminated by the Holy Spirit, that spirit of grace to understand your word and the work of your son? Would you give us hearts that are, that are true hearts it talks about in this passage, that are cleansed, sprinkled, clean hearts? If there's anyone here who has yet to receive that true heart, may today be the day. But God, would you give us feet to to walk in a manner worthy of your name, to to love and and to do the good works that you've called us to do. Father, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things be forgotten and fall away. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus And it's in his matchless, glorious name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, if you want to follow along, you'll see an outline for you. And the first thing we're going to see in this passage, this kind of this led us. Now, here's this reality of what Jesus has done. And now the response is together. Hey, let us respond. Let us respond to what Christ has done. Because he has perfected us. Because he's making us holy. Because he's brought us close. Let us draw near. Draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Interesting, the heart of the matter here is the heart. Jesus is telling us in his word, come close, draw near, draw near to God. It's interesting because it's sin that caused us to run from God. It's sin that causes us to hide from God. And when, when sin came in the story, although we were made for him and fellowship with him, as soon as sin enters the story, we, we were afraid of a holy God. 
And we want to hide. It happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. And we've been hiding ever since. Is it not true in our own lives? What does sin make you do? Not just hide from God, but hide from others. I mean, just hide, hide the reality. I don't want anybody to see the reality of this in my life. I don't want them to see what's in my history on my computer, right? I don't want them to see what is really going on. Sin drives us from God and causes us to hide from God. But this incredible news of the gospel is this, is because, because of Christ's life, not yours, his, and because of his life, death, and resurrection, we don't have to hide from God anymore. We don't have to be afraid of him. Uh, we actually, he says, we could draw near. Uh, come near to him. But how do we draw near? It's very interesting. We live in a world that will say a lot of things look like drawing near to God in different religions and different aspects. But according to God's word, the only people who could draw near to God are those who have faith. Faith is the requirement for us to draw near. That's the only faith in Christ Jesus, faith that he is the way, right? He is the truth. He is the life. There's no other way to draw near to God. Hebrews 11 verse six, will say it this way. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe, believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So, so think about this. This is basically saying just because, you know, you're really sincere about drawing near to God and you're really moral or religious but God's word saying, listen, you can't please God without faith in his son, our savior. And the only way you could ever draw near to God, you, you can't do it on your own. You and me, we're not good enough. You can't do it through religion. The only way we draw near to God is bending a knee and having faith in him. Well, verses 19 and 20 will say that we have confidence to draw near, to, to enter into those holy places by the blood of Jesus. That this confidence that God has done something. He's done something to his son. And now, now there's a new and living way for us to have access to God. In the Old Testament, there was a shadow of how to have access to God. Only one got really close to the Holy Holies, the high priest. Only one time a year. And there had to be this sacrifice for his sins and the sins of the people. And only one guy was allowed to draw near that close to God. And he couldn't do it without blood. And now... It's this blood of Christ who allows all of us, not just a high priest, but all of us to come and to draw near. Interestingly, this, uh, the, the, the copy of the, the, the shadow of the law that was given to us was blood was used to cleanse everything. It almost doesn't make sense is when they set up this tabernacle or temple and even the priests who would operate in there, there had to be a sacrifice. And they took blood of the sacrifice and, and they, they put it on everything. And they put on everything and say, well, now it's clean because they have blood on it. But then we realize it says, well, the blood of bulls and goats, it doesn't make anybody clean. It was just pointing to the fact that Christ's blood really will make us clean. You see, that cross was important. The nails were necessary. The blood had to be shed. And the blood that was shed is not only covers our sins, it cleanses us from our sins. And it does in this, what this passage says, it, it, the blood that is sprinkled upon our hearts. I mean, somehow through faith, God takes that purifying sacrifice and gives us a new heart. He cleanses us from sin. Remember, there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And only Christ's blood can give us now a true heart or a cleansed heart. One of those passages I continually go back to in the Old Testament is the book of Ezekiel. Really interesting book, kind of confusing at times, but beautiful in many other times. But Ezekiel 36, 26, 
there's a promise made that God himself will remove our hearts of stone, that God himself will give us a heart of flesh, that God's the ultimate heart surgeon, that he's for those who by God's grace have faith, for those who, who have placed their faith in Jesus, Jesus has done some heart surgery. That's why you have faith. He's given us a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that beats for him. It's Jeremiah in Hebrews uh, has quoted this Jeremiah 31 in this promise of a new covenant that God says, I'm going to write my law on your heart. I'm going to give you a true heart so we can draw near to God. But we have to realize here that there's a huge chasm, a huge difference between belief in God and faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Huge chasm. Because a lot of people will say, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. And and maybe I even believe in this this historic man named Jesus. But this isn't just having an intellectual assent to believe in Jesus. This is saying, no, no, no. I have faith in Jesus. I'm putting everything I am. I'm I'm putting all my chips on the Jesus card. Everything I got, I'm pushing them all there saying, my hope is in him alone. Nothing can I bring I have faith that he and he alone can get me home and get me life. It's interesting, in the book of James, James 2.19 says this. It says, even the demons believe and shudder. Now, the demons aren't saved. The demons believe. I mean, it's interesting. Read through the scriptures. Read through the gospels. The demons seem to have acknowledgement of who Jesus was long before anybody else does. We know that you are the son of God. What did you come here to do, Jesus? They believe, but they're not bowing a knee. Where is it with you? Are you a believer or do you have faith? And it's an amazing contrast because here's, here's what the book of Hebrews says. Hey, those of you who have faith, draw near to God. Have confidence. Don't be afraid. He's cleansed our conscience. He's taken care of. Come near. Come. He's, he's Abba Father. But for those who just believe or those who don't have faith, it says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. It's a fearful thing. I mean, judgment is coming. The reality is this. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess to that reality. And it's a fearful thing to have a belief and not have a faith. As a matter of fact, it's probably the most scary thing in all the world because as Matthew 7, 7 says, at the end of time, there'll be many who say, Lord, 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 we did some things in your name. I mean, we, we did some cool things in your name. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. You had a belief in God. You never had faith in my son. So what do we do with this? I mean, what do we do? I mean, where, where's the chasm? And I love this, even this, this hope of faith. Uh, it's Hebrews 12, 2. That's actually the whole, we're not even getting there with this passage, but the whole series is based on Hebrews 12, 2. Aren't I a great preacher? We're not even getting to it. But it's basically saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the founder. Listen to this. He's the founder and the perfecter of your faith. If it's true that you could say, I am in the category of not just believing, but having faith, then that's the grace of God. It's the grace of God who has given you that ability because he is the founder of your faith and he is the perfecter of your faith. He despised the shame of the cross, was seated at the right hand of God. You see, it's the grace of God that has given us even faith. Do you think if you have faith in this, in this Savior, it's because you're smarter than others? You think it's because you're more righteous than others? You think it's because you figured something out that others didn't? Now, here's, here's the ultimate humbling thing about it. 
If we have faith, faith is a gift. Ephesians 1.29. It's a, it's a gift that God has given us. That he initiated with us. And here's this greater gift. That it's, it's not even us who are holding on to the faith. That Jesus is the founder of our faith. Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. I mean, it's all about him. Maybe uh, Paul will help us in Philippians 1.6 that Jesus finishes what he starts. He who began the good work in you will finish it into the day of Christ Jesus. So when you read this passage and it gets a little scary about those who, who uh, fall into the hands of, of, of this living God and it talks about those who are shrinking back and, and those who will be judged. But listen to verse 39. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Christian, if you have faith, you may feel like, oh my goodness, I'm a shrinker backer. I'm not sure that I can preserve. Oh my goodness, I have a faith that sometimes as small as a mustard seed. But God, the author and perfecter of your faith is gonna make sure you make it home. Do you have faith or do you have belief? Do you have a true heart? Or a false heart. Let me ask you, how much preparation have you done for Thanksgiving? How many of you are actually hosting Thanksgiving at your house? Anybody hosting here? All right, preparations uh, in full steam ahead, right? And, uh, um, you know, you're probably doing things that hopefully everybody will thank you for. Probably few will. Um, you're getting everything prepared. Can you imagine if you went through all of the Thanksgiving preparation, did everything you could to make everything ready, paid for everything, got everything ready, set the table, and no one showed up? I mean, you'd be thinking, are you kidding me? I went through all this, I went through all this work. I mean, we did all this stuff. We, we arranged this so that you could come near, that you could sit at the table. And so what you have here is that what Christ has done for us, the sufficiency of his sacrifice for us, is that we now could go into the most holy places anytime with God, that we could draw near. And he's saying to us, listen, are you kidding me? You have access to God. He's prepared a table for you. He, he's prepared fellowship. Draw near to him. I don't let anything get in the way. Don't let your schedule, your time, don't let your, your interests apart from him. Draw near to God. Continually draw near to God. Why? Because you have the very right to do that. Why? Because he moved heaven and earth for us to be able to do it. Secondly, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promises faithful. It says now that we have a new and, and living way to draw near to God. It says we have a, a living hope. Uh, Hebrews seven nineteen. we looked at this earlier. It talked about a, a better hope in Christ Jesus through which we're to draw near to God. So now let us, let us hold fast to the confession without wavering. Why? Because he who promises faithful. What's the confession of our hope? I mean, it's easy to say, well, don't, well, don't lose it. Let's, don't. Hold, I mean, hold fast to this. What is the confession of our hope? I mean, it's again, it's, it's Jesus. He's our confession. Our hope is that, as Christians, our hope is that Jesus is enough. We know we're not. We know we're a mess. We know we're prone to wander. We know we're forgetful. We, our hope, our confession that Jesus, God's son, his life, his death, his resurrection, it's enough. It's enough for us. It's enough for the Father. It's enough to make us his, that through one sacrifice, he truly has perfected for all time those he's making holy. It's enough. I mean, hang on to that hope. 
No matter what the mirror tells you, no, no matter what the world shows you, no matter what is going on inside you or around you, your hope is not in you. Your hope is not in me. Our hope needs to be in Jesus alone. And then it says this. Why? Because our hope is that God who promises faithful. <laughs> don't you love that? I mean, scripture could say, don't give up on your hope and you really better work hard for it. And you better be, uh, you better hang on and be strong. He's, he's saying this, no, no, don't, don't give up on your hope. And your hope is Jesus. Now listen, it's, and God is faithful. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> because he who promised to the one who, who promised to you before time began to love you and rescue you, that he is faithful. We are not. We're faithless. We're wanderers. We make a mess of it. Our hope, listen, our hope should never be in that sanctification of when I started with Jesus and when I'm going to see him face to face. Our hope shouldn't be of how, how far we've gone and how many scripture passages we've memorized. And I, I hope you go far and I hope you memorize a lot. But our hope is ultimately in God's grip on us, not our grip on him. I've said that to you over and over and over again. He just doesn't let go of sheep. He just doesn't lose them. He just doesn't give up on them. He just doesn't stop loving them. And that's Jesus. Because he who promised is faithful. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 8, if you had a preacher would get you there, you'd hear it. But it says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can bank on him. He's faithful. He won't change. Thirdly and lastly, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us, let us figure out how we can just encourage one another to, to love our neighbor and to love God and to do good works. Friday morning, I had the privilege of uh, attending the Association of Fundraising Professionals, AFP, Breakfast at the Ritz-Carlton. Did you know that Friday was the national philanthropy? That's, that's the word that I'm looking for. Uh, National Philanthropy Day was Friday. And it really was a nice event. I mean, my goodness, it was at the Ritz-Carlton. It did start at 7.30 in the morning, which meant I had to get up pretty darn early. And it was an incredible event where they honored a lot of folks who did very wonderful philanthropic things uh, for our community. But, you know, really, I'm not kidding you, it was really kind of like watching a movie that the plot had been ripped out of. Because it was like talking about good things without talking about the good one. It was talking about good things and really good things and grateful things without, without the context of the bigger story, without the context of, of why we do these things in response to our great God. It, it was incredible. It was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is like hollow. It rings, it rings hollow. And don't, don't tell everybody I said that because they paid for my breakfast. But I was there, not just because of the event. I was there because I was invited by one of our members, Bruce Holmes, and he was receiving an award. It was really, it was the biggest award of the day. It was like the last award, the big award. It was the H. Clifford Lee Lifetime Achievement Award. And there's a video, and I happened to be in that video, talking about Bruce, and then he came up and he spoke, and the whole morning took meaning. As he humbly said thank you and humbly accepted the award, he, he talked about many men and women who are successful plan their life and they plan the events that will happen in their life. He said, that's not me. He said, I, I became a Christian in high school. And I know that I have a, a, a God and Jesus is my savior and he has a plan for me. 
I'm telling you, a pastor never sat more proud. A pastor never sat more proud saying, you go, Bruce. You grow, man. You, 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 you take a stage with people who would be embarrassed to name the name of Jesus. And there's a lot of different groups that were there. And you stood up and you just said, hey, basically, there's one person, there's one Savior that I live for, and it's Jesus. And it just stirred me up. I mean, it stirred me up. It fired me up for, for love and good deeds. You know, Scripture will tell us, James 2.17 says, faith, we talked about faith, we talked about hope, and now this love, but, but faith without works is dead. That, that really because of what Christ has done, the works of love, loving God, loving ourselves, loving our neighbors, the works of good deeds. And you know what good deeds are in the Bible? You ready for this? Doing the right thing for the right reasons. That's why the story felt a little shallow. Until we do it for the glory of God. Until we do it because God has called us to bring the values of Jesus everywhere we go. We do what we do so we're the aroma of Christ. So that others can see our good deeds and do what? Praise the name of God in heaven. That's why we do them. Paul will say in this incredible passage of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that we know as Protestants, we know that it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not of works, so that no one will boast. And then it goes on to say, but here's the reality in verse 10, but now we are Christ's workmanship. We've been made in Christ to do good works that God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. When he says we should walk in them, he's basically saying this should be our way of life. Our way of life should be us walking with Jesus, doing what Jesus would do, being the aroma of Christ. God prepared us in advance to walk in them, to bring the values of Jesus in his kingdom everywhere we go, by the way we love one another, and by the way we help those in need. I got to tell you, this could be the smallest thing. This doesn't mean you have to sell everything you have today and put a sign for sale sign and go move somewhere to be a missionary. This is the reality that you just got to realize that your life's on mission no matter where you are, no matter what you're called to. You don't have to change your circumstances. You just got to bring Jesus into those circumstances. I remember as we met as a staff talking about this, it was Allison Walker talking about her experience uh, with IJM, International Justice Mission in Africa. When she said, there was times I felt like no one remembered me. No one thought of me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Does anybody know what I'm doing? She said, I just got an email sometimes saying, hey, Allison, I want you to know I'm praying for you. I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. Thanks for serving. She's like, oh man, I was, I was stirred up. I was fired up. I'm not forgotten that I could go do what God has called me to do. You know, in this passage, it says this. If we're going to stir up one another to love and good deeds, there's an importance of meeting together. Verse 25. Do not neglect to meet together as the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Wow, do we live in a time where it's hard sometimes for us to gather together, to have a priority, the primacy of worship, to have the primacy of church. And you know, as a pastor, sometimes you kind of blush saying this because you feel like you're, you're selling yourself, you're selling your institution. But this is what scripture says. Listen, don't forsake as a habit of some to draw near together. Don't forsake assembling together for worship. This is important. 
It's important for us to be the church. It's important for us to be reminded of whose we are and what he's done. It's important for us to have one another sit next to us. It's important. We're the family of God. And don't get out of habit of, of, of doing this as some are in the habit of doing. Draw near together. And let me tell you, this is, this is not enough. I mean, this is like corporate worship. Draw near together in a community group. That's why we talk about it so much. I mean, draw near with, with others that can know you and love you and hear your story. Draw near together in community. So that you can love each other, so that you can spur one another on to love and good deeds. I know that that's been so important in my community group, even as we struggle sometimes to figure out what date works and how do we get together. But when we're together, I'm reminded of the privilege of being loved and loving and hearing how we can encourage one another to love and good deeds. Are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? Do you believe in God or have faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Are you holding fast to the confession of hope? Is that hope anchored in Jesus? And are you stirring up one another to love and good deeds? The whole point of the book of Hebrews is this. It's Jesus. There's nothing like him. Do you know, have you seen his beauty? Have you wept over it? Have you, have you looked to the cross and seen your sins and been amazed and been staggered? Has it buckled your knees and driven you to the ground in prayer and thanksgiving? I mean, the writer of Hebrews holds up the beauty of Jesus and says, there's nothing like him. He became like us so that we somehow could become like him. Do you see that beauty of Jesus? Fix your eyes on him and let the world see him in you. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you that you and you alone have given us life and life abundantly, that you and you alone are the author and the perfecter of our faith. You and you alone give us hope because of what you've promised. And you and you alone stir us to love and good deeds because that is what you have done for us and called us to do. Fix our eyes upon Christ. Let us see his beauty and let the world see his beauty through us. We pray in Christ's name, amen.